The Korean Thrive Podcast, episode 90, Collective Store Pros and Cons, with Christina Douglas. I'm Jess Van Den, and this is the Korean Thrive Podcast. A former school teacher, I turned my handmade hobby into a thriving business, and I also teach other creatives how to do the same. My goal is to help you learn how to turn your creative hobby into a thriving, profitable business. So let's get learning. Hey Thrivers, it's Jess here. Welcome to another episode of the Create and Thrive podcast. I'm coming at you from Japan today. Yes, I am in the midst of my three-week trip around Japan, well, around a part of Japan, not the whole thing. And I'm currently sitting in my little Airbnb in Kyoto, where we've spent the last few days, and we're about to head off to Osaka for a few days, and then we're going to Hakaba which is a ski village region for a week in the snow, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, Kyoto and Osaka, for those of you who don't know, they're pretty much like neighbours. They're really close. It's like Brisbane and the Gold Coast, except they're even closer than that. Uh, But we've spent a few days wandering around Kyoto. Uh, Some must-dos if you ever come here. Uh, The Fushimi and Aritori gates, which are absolutely phenomenal. It's, there's 5,000 of these Tory gate, big, like, um, reddish orange Tory gates and you walk through them and they wind all the way up Mount Inari and back down again. So you walk all the way, uh, up the mountain and back down. It's about two hours and that was stopping and taking photos. We went really early to try to beat the tourist hordes, uh, so we could get some really good photos and we managed, uh, which was awesome. When we came back down, it was just mobbed at the bottom. So, and this is the middle of winter. I don't know that this is peaked tourist season here in Japan but yeah it was it was crazy by lunchtime so um, that was awesome and did the Imperial Palace here in Kyoto because I think it's for about a millennia Kyoto was the capital of Japan and uh, this is where you know the Emperor uh, lived and there's some beautiful gardens in there and we managed to do a tour of one of them's closed and one of them uh, you have to do a tour to see it and the other one is open and that was pretty amazing. I've shared some photos on Instagram, actually, of both of those things. So go check it out at Create and Thrive on Instagram. And uh, the next few days, one of the things we're going to do is head out to Nara, where they have a beautiful big wooden uh, temple and also apparently deer roaming everywhere, which to me is awesome because I very rarely see deer. <laughs> They're exciting to me. Uh, so that'll be fun. And then skiing. So hopefully I'll come out of that unscathed. <laughs> And I'll have good, you know, good stories for you again next week. So today I have an interview with uh, my friend Christina. She's also a member of the Thriver Circle, and I met her last year at the Artful Business Conference. Uh, during the survey that I ran at the end of last year, thank you to those of you who filled it out, by the way. A few people asked me about uh, collective stores. So there's a few different types of retail space. You know, there's um, you know the traditional, the owner buys the stuff off you wholesale, then sells it on. There's the commission-based store where they pay your percentage of your sale. And then there's a couple of models of collective store where the people who are selling in the store are more deeply involved in the running of the store. You may have to volunteer some time, you know, for your space, or it may be a case that you pay store rental, you know, a space rental rather rather than having to pay, you know, getting paid um, by sale. So in this episode, we're going to talk about 
the different types of collective stores, the pros and cons of them, of being part of them, but also of running them. Because Christina runs a collective store in Melbourne, and it's called Our Little Caravan. Uh, and it's a nurturing community that acts as a launch pad for local artists, designers, and craftspeople. That's her goal is to, to be a place where... You know, people who are in that middle stage, not quite complete hobbyists, but not established business owners necessarily, uh, it's a place where you can sort of test the waters and put your work out into the world and see whether it's working, you know, whether it's going to sell. So we talk about that. We talk about the lessons she's learned. Christina has a couple of businesses that all work together. She runs craft workshops in her space as well. So we talk a bit about um, doing that. Uh, if you are interested in, you know, the ins and outs of doing that yourself. Uh, she also runs uh, out of the back of her store. She has a little caravan, which is how this all started. I'll let her tell you the story where she runs uh, craft parties for kids. So there's lots of stuff uh, that we're going to cover, lots of um, ideas. And we talk about the benefits of working with other people. You know, another thing about her business is she actually has someone else who runs a little coffee business coffee shop inside her shop so they're separate businesses but in the same space so all of these ideas you know stepping outside of the box of ways to get your craft into the world and also ways to make money out of your craft and teaching it being involved with other people so we'll dive into this episode I hope you enjoy it and I'll see you on the flip side hi Christina welcome to the show hi it's lovely to have you join us. Uh, Christina is a fellow Aussie uh, down in Melbourne. So, Christina, before we dive into the topic of this call and this uh, episode, could you just give us all a little background on who you are and what you do? Well, yeah, I'm Christina and I live in Melbourne in Australia. I'm a primary school teacher part-time. I'm a mum of three boys, a wife to my husband, Anthony, and recently a businesswoman. That's pretty. That's a pretty big uh, amount of things on your plate, I have to say. <laughs> it is. It is actually. And until just yesterday, I was answering when somebody would ask me, "Gee, you sound so busy." With yeah, yeah, and spent last year feeling quite overwhelmed. But actually, I love all of those things, and so it's time well spent, and that helps. So you know, none of it's a real chore. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's important when you know to love everything you do, and it make definitely makes life a little bit easier. So obviously today, um, you've come on the show so we can talk about your business. So could you tell everybody a little bit about your business or businesses, actually, really, um, what you do there, and then we'll get a bit more into detail. Okay. Well, a few years ago, I became fascinated by vintage caravans and how people renovate and redecorate them for various purposes, including business use. And in September 2013, I purchased Mabel, a cute little 1969 Viscount Ambassador, which is an Australian type of caravan, and I started to renovate her. She became my girl cave. (laughs) And I would be in there making stuff while the boys were bouncing around the trampoline and being all crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. But then a friend suggested I could use it as a creative space and my little caravan, the birthday party and craft business kind of started uh, in our backyard. And so then as my friends started to finish up with their parties, strangers started to inquire about having parties and the business (laughs) grew and it became obvious that it could be more than just a hobby. So I began a search for an affordable rent space but how can a unique weekend party business justify 
commercial rent space. Mm. So the idea came to use the shop space as a handmade craft gift and you know homewares collective store during the week. Mm-hmm. And that was how our little caravan, the collective store, came into existence. Okay, so you started with the caravan, your own thing, word of mouth happened, people got excited, started to <laughs> kind of started to take off and then you moved into this this second phase of having the actual retail space. So does the caravan live at the retail space? Is this how yeah, that, that's right. So it was important that I found a shop that had the lane running behind it, with ah. the car park behind the shop, like those old strip shops. Ah, and, yes. And and we put fake grass down and strong protective <laughs> gates and, and dragged the caravan into the back. So now um, Mabel is behind the shop. Mm-hmm. And so you walk through the front door, um, and at the, but you just kind of have to start at the back. At the very back in this back car park is, is the caravan, and that's where the parties and the children's side of the business happens. Mm-hmm. Mm. But little did I know that the community... The collective itself would become a community. Mm-hmm. And so now we've got this, our little caravan's taken over my little caravan. Uh, <laughs> my little caravan, you know, is still popular with the children. But where the connection and the real um, community has happened is in our little caravan, the collective store. So yeah. do you have crafting space inside the store for adults as well? Yes, we do. So we have big art room tables inside the shop mm-hmm. and then the shop is surrounded with um, shelves um, and that's where each shelf is rented by a maker mm-hmm. and together we share the rent on the shop. Okay, cool. So there's a lot going on there. So you've got your the actual shop space uh, with the products for sale, you've got the crafting space and you've got the space at the back for parties and kids stuff. So that's pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. And, and so today, you know, I think we're, we're going to kind of talk about all of those elements, but we're really going to focus on the collective element of things. And I do want to talk about the craft, uh, like running craft workshops as well, because I think that's a, something that a lot of makers uh, do or consider doing as an, you know, ad- additional source of income is running craft uh, workshops and, and things like that. So first of all, let's just clarify what a collective store is what does that, what's the difference between a collective store and like a normal retail store right well i mean there's a, there's almost even a few versions of collective stores because um there's the co-op co-op type of collective store where people actually cooperatively share the space which is what what i am but then in that model people would take it in turns to have shifts and everybody would have sort of equal or well not maybe not equal as much as fair work or service in return for the space they're renting in the shop mm-hmm. um and then there's um a stallholder only type shop but where you just have your things and then um somebody else manages the renting of the space and the running of the shop but at the end of the day it is about you know, many people, I like to think of it as actually collaborative. Um, mm. Many people are putting in together to share a space because retail shops, brick-and-mortar shops, that's your biggest cost in a business mm. and that's why everybody's making and selling online. Yep. So it's like a brick-and-mortar Etsy. 
I like that. Um, yeah. And ours is only handmade. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, um, didn't, wasn't initially, but that was what we evolved into deeming an important value that it was going to be a handmade collective store. So no secondhand collectibles mm-hmm. because sometimes you have a mishmash of those and that's fine. But we decided our space is small and we were going to niche it down to just handmade, um, craft products okay so do you have a lot of stock uh, like people stocking in your store or is it a small group of people i think in comparison to other stores it might be considered small um we have around 40 they come and go but we always have around 40 stallholders and i remember um when i first so our shop's been open for a year and a half now, mm-hmm. uh, 18 months. And when I was writing my business plan and trying to, you know, prove to my husband that this might work, um, <laughs> I was, or justify, I should say, um, I, I had on the, you know, hopes and dreams that I would have 40 stallholders by the end of the second year mm-hmm. and I'd have a, you know, continuous stream of birthday parties, which is the foot traffic. Yeah. Um, because those mums that sit down, while the birthday parties are happening, they're the customers that then look at the shop and buy the things off the shelves. Mm-hmm. And I had 40 people inquiring and 40, sh- we call them shelf members, um, mm. within within six months. It wow. was it really took off. People really wanted to be a part of it. That's, a, that's fantastic. And it yeah. just shows that there's still that desire in people to be in a re- like a retail brick and mortar space with their work. Um, and I think that, you know, your model is, uh, probably one that's a little bit more accessible to people than perhaps traditional. Yeah, well, it's affordable. Mm. It is, it is, it's affordable. And so you can experiment and give it a go and see what it is the market, my audience, which is mainly mothers and kids, Mm -hmm. um, more recently, because we actually collaborated even further in September last year at girl who wanted to open a coffee shop that was her dream she now sublets the front part of our shop so now we have coffee as well which means we have some men <laughs> we didn't we hadn't seen much um, testosterone in the shop before then but now we have men in the shop um but but predominantly our audience are makers mothers of makers and young young mums yeah oh that's i mean it sounds like you've got and, a real good young, thing going on young women as well like yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's it's wonderful yeah, because you've got all of those elements work really nice together. Like you said, um, this, the bit where you said, you know, we have the birthday parties for the kids at the back and then the mums, well, they they sit in the shop and they're there looking at the stuff for like an hour. So chances are they're probably going to buy something. <laughs> and then, of course, you'd have craft. Absolutely. It's exactly. Yeah, and then you have craft workshops, same thing. People are coming into the space. They're going to see nice things. And now coffee, I mean, everybody likes a, a hot beverage, especially in Melbourne. So that's you know, a a really great way to bring people in the door as well and kind of, you know, share the rent cost, I guess, of the space as well. Yes, that's right. It all makes it – and each business needs each other. My little caravan, the party business, uh, after eight, eighteen months, it does not have enough birthday parties running through it to justify a commercial space. Mm -hmm. To do that, you really need six parties a weekend. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm more – more likely getting six a month. That's right. not enough to justify commercial rent space in Melbourne. 
Um, so that's a backyard hobby still. But the customers that come to those parties are then coming through the shop. And, of course, word of mouth, has that has really developed over 18 months and, and I do work hard online too to try and create a bit of a tribe that comes in. So they all are starting to drop in now during the week. That's and cool. whenever we run classes and events, and we've had live music nights, we've had bloggers meetups. We we just we're now renting it out as an event space. Mm-hmm. And whenever anybody comes to an event, they see what's on the shelves and they buy what's on the shelves. So mm-hmm. the biggest challenge that we've had, and this would be the biggest challenge of most collectives or the downfall. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you, how you want to see it, but <laughs> is the location right? So often. Um, with the best of intentions, you you know, and I did this, you go out and you skimp on locations. So there's no costlier mistake. What I saved a month, I lost 10 times in sale. knows where we were or knew where we were. Now they yep. do. Um, it doesn't mean that you only succeed if you choose, you know, a very high-end location. There's going to be lots of factors and specific criterias for that. But if you aren't sure it's definitely worth hiring a consultant because um, how often have you looked for a collective store or heard about one and then you found yourself in some alley or behind a <laughs> shop and it's tough but yeah. we do it because the retail space is not as expensive to rent yeah anyway. so you you can't you kind of when you're thinking about a location, you, you sort of need to think about how are you going to bring people in the door? Are they going to be coming in via just foot traffic, like finding you? Yeah. Or are you going to be, you're going to have to do the work to do the marketing to bring the people in the door? That's right. It's one or the other, isn't it? In so, like I've heard you say before, in so many things, you, you either pay for it or you do the work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then in our case, we, we're doing the work. So we've decided, okay, well, we're event space. Even the coffee shop, we need to invite people to the coffee shop. So we're a great place for meetings. Yes. We're a great place for um, craft workshops, which is a really good option for our makers as well because they can then, you know, develop their business in teaching those workshops. We've got the insurance. We've paid all that. Mm. Why not use it? Yeah, that's and fantastic. That brings foot traffic in that door helps the store the shelf members. So yeah, okay. So uh, what would you say the benefits for you know of being part of a collective for makers? Well, I think the benefits are that the cash outlay is minimal because it's shared amongst the members. Mm-hmm. Um, it, as far as the makers go, well, as far as the person running the collective store goes, you don't need to purchase stock to start up because the members make it up. So before long, you've got a variety of things because the members are contributing to that. And depending on your model, um, the workload is shared amongst people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and... Yeah, I mean, it depends on whether you've decided to share that amongst the people contributing to the shop or whether one person or a few people are at the helm. Right, so but, do, do your members have an active part in running the shop or merchandising or any of that sort of stuff? Well, what some of them contribute um, because they can't help themselves, but we can't <laughs> afford to pay people on top of what they just do. So that's what I mean about building a community. Mm-hmm. Um, we... Are a we actually are a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. So so that means although we are a profit 
making business, it's profit that goes back into the shop in order to pay for, you know, advertising better to tell people where we are and to reduce the shelf prices. So it is really affordable. Our shop is really affordable. It was intentionally done that way so that we could, um, I guess our makers are not the ones predominantly at uh, the finders keepers markets, for example, mm-hmm. they be more the mums at not not mums. I shouldn't say that exclusively. It's just the uh, people that are uh, doing a hobby at home. Yep. Maybe are doing markets often and not doing markets because they've got the tiny children and it's not practical to get their stuff out and be at a market five a.m. on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So by renting one of our shelves. The work is done for them. They don't have to worry about the toddlers and they come in during the week and they spread the word and that's probably how they contribute. Okay. But, so, mm. Yeah, so would you say that uh, like the, the the space that you currently run, and it's going to be different for every collective store, obviously. It, it is. That is true. Is, you know, you have a, a, a predominance of perhaps hobbyists or beginner makers or people who are just kind of getting started and and making that those first steps into having a business so it's kind of a safe way to to test out a product it is exactly that because a part of our workshop space is also used for training and that's something we're going to develop more this year Mm -hmm. so so that sort of networking for home businesses um, where you can come together and learn about you know instagram and photo photography and stuff we'll try and teach each other (laughs) <laughs> um, and you can bring your children because we've got, you know, it's that sort of space that is actually forgiving for for little toddlers to be around and mm-hmm. then the cafe can cater and so we'll actually support each other that way this year and we've got some really good um, sort of people willing to train up. So that's great. Um, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what ours is special about. Awesome. I mean, it's. I, I think I've heard of some other spaces similar to yours in different cities, and it seems like something that's becoming uh, more um, common, which is great because it's you know it's that place where people can come together, learn from each other, help each other out. Um, and you know, everybody listening this this episode, we're trying to come from both perspectives of the the people who are participating. So, if you're considering participating in a collective store, but also if you've ever thought about opening a brick and mortar store, but you were kind of, you know, overwhelmed by the idea or the cost or whatever that, you know, this model that Christina has is, a you know, it sounds to me uh, like a very viable way of doing it because you've got all these different things going on. And so, you know, it's not, it's not such a, a big cost up front. You know, you don't have to pay out uh, buying stuff for wholesale. You've got, the community element you've got the workshops coming through um so let's let's touch on those for a little bit how did you um like why did you decide to do workshops how do you actually organize and run that and you know what sort of numbers are coming in and how often do you run them okay well i guess it was a natural inclination to do because i'm a teacher (laughs) so i was already running workshops for children now we were running workshops for adults. Um, I think our speciality too is um, casual craft classes. Mm-hmm. So we do craft classes with adults like polymer clay beads that will take you a couple of hours and you'll go home with a product. 
soy wax candle making, you know, those sorts of things. Not so much quilting where you come back every week mm. for six weeks or not, but, but maybe quilting in that you learn a technique and take home a pincushion. You yeah. know, that, that we're, we're busy. We want to have our creative outlet. This is, I'm talking about society now. Yeah. Um, and so the, the people that are, my, my customers are either mums or uni students or just, you know, starting work people. Um, <clears throat> so they are busy, but they want the materials put in front of them. They want to know how to do it. They want to get that creative thing happening for the night and spend night with other people that are like-minded and then go home with something finished. So mm. that's that's the sort of workshops we have done so far in the shop. Um the numbers have been – we've started out quite oh, – pricing, goodness me. It's <laughs> pricing. Pricing is not just for makers. My pricing is, an, uh, you know, I'm not even getting that bit right. So yeah. It's an endless learning process. I, it has. Oh, look, I've got a list here of things that um, I wish I'd known two years ago, so we'll get to that. <laughs> we will. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, my pricing was too low last year um, and <laughs> as – it doesn't even matter. Like, you know, I, oh, well, we'll see. If I talk to you next year and tell you, well, I doubled my prices and now I've actually got seven people instead of three, <laughs> I I just think, frankly, I'd actually be happy to come in for three people if they were paying, you know, $70 instead of 35 whereas when I come in for three people and they're paying 35 it just makes me grumpy. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> And, and that's a good reason. That's a good reason that pricing should be higher enough. Because if you start to resent your work because you're not pricing it high enough, and this is a lesson for everybody, uh, when you get busy and you start making a lot of stuff or, or whatever your business is, if you're not charging enough, you will start to resent it. So it is important to to make sure that your prices are high enough so that you are actually like, yeah, this is worth my time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Um, so I've. I've got the question now this the, 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 <laughs> so how the workshops are all going the workshops are good those yeah. workshops are good they're, they're better i find the i, I run these things called drop in and craft yeah. they are quite popular because nobody likes to make a commitment these days <laughs> so they all just drop in but i find that more difficult to work with as a person mm. standing there because i don't know who's coming i don't know if anyone's coming if, and i've got ready or i've not got ready and then i've run out of stuff because it's too busy you know i don't like <laughs> that as much and i'll need to think about that yeah so um, how many workshops would you say you run a week for example on a regular basis well mm, yeah we don't run heaps during the week i'd say we allocate weekend is usually set aside for parties and we've also added markets so we do run four markets a year um and i would say one workshop in the evening during the week mm-hmm. um, and then we're just open for trading during the day because until now I've been the only one running all the workshops right and as I mentioned at the start pretty busy yep. so uh, that's why now we're saying please other people run workshops and if you're a shelf member in our shop then there's a discount for you running workshops because mm-hmm. we want you to benefit from that obviously that's leveraging you know teaching yeah eight people how to make polymer clade necklaces at $70 a person, that's that's not bad money mm. or little terrariums or whatever. Um, but actually selling one terrarium, it's going to take longer. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is a great way. And I, you know, I really hope the members jump on that. And I think, you know, people who are considering trying to find alternative, you know, 
ways of bringing in money for the business, teaching craft workshops on your speciality is a great thing. I think some people have that fear of, like, oh, if I'm teaching people how to do it, I'm, I'm kind of destroying my customer base. But I don't think that's the case. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it's the case either because I have found most of my people, most of my audience just want to, they don't care about all your secrets. They just want to have a go. Yeah. They don't want to buy all the soy wax and the wicks and figure out where to get it from and get started. They don't. They just, well, my audience mm-hmm. just want to have a dabble and go, look at that, I made my own candle. That was a bit of fun. I might make some for my Christmas friends and then that's it. They're not going to – I mean, okay, that's not true. I guess there will be somebody who one day does a class with the intention of setting up a business. But Yeah, but one one they, workshop is not going to be enough for them to, to figure it out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You've just got to be careful you don't overshare, which yeah. I do have a tendency to do. So I will not give you advice on that. But don't <laughs> Yeah, that's where having a plan, you know, and planning your workshop um, so that you you share enough that they feel like they've learned something, but not so much you're, you're giving away your trade secrets, obviously, that's right. if you have trade secrets. Don't give them all your suppliers. No, that's right. <laughs> so um, let's just uh, talk a little bit about legalities because I had a few people ask me this question, um, you know, and I know everybody, I know this is going to be different on, depending on where you are, what country you are in you have to I'm just disclaimer you're gonna have to figure this out um for yourself but I'm sure there are some general kind of ideas like about contracts and stuff like that that we can chat about briefly like how do you set it all up so that the members are protected and you're protected and everybody's kind of happy and knows what to expect yes well that is true it is probably always going to not be uh, something that can be held up in a court of law. Mm. There, I think there is going to have to be an element of understanding about it being um, a community, you know, based project. Yeah. But there are some things you need to do so that it is fair and, um, I guess, fair but reasonable. Yeah. So I know that one person I asked who had their product in another cooperative store said that because the rules were not adhered to, um, you know, when one sort of bully comes in and starts pushing the boundaries, if the, if the rules are not adhered to, then that it's not fair and people leave or they, they should, you know, they get more shelf space or whatever the political issue is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just not right. So we have terms and conditions that we send out to everybody and they sign those to say they've read them and agree that that's that that they're a part of the shop and they can keep those agreements yep um and they're not unreasonable they're just like you know we'll pay you on the 15th of the month that sort of thing (laughs) so don't hassle me on the second of the month because i haven't got it all sorted yet you know so just when they know what's coming in um we also um, need to agree on how they price things. Mm. Uh, so this is this is always this is one we're still learning. But you know, some people price things really um, cheaply. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have different reasons for wanting to sell. Some people are making things purely for um, almost like cheap therapy. They're just making because <laughs> they've got a stressful job and they're happy and they want to just sell it. Yeah, and then buy more product to to make more things so their prices and this particular shelf member i'm thinking of 
uh, really quite under value because she's really just wanting to clear it. Yeah. Then you've got something that's priced a bit more appropriately because that person's trying to make a living from it and that's not really comparable and fair um, because it, it then sort of makes your shop inconsistent. Yeah. So that's, that is something we'll talk about when we have our little monthly meetings, which we didn't have previously, but just that let's all support each other with our pricing. Yeah. Let's not then sell it cheaper at a market. Yeah. This is your price, stick to it because um, there'll be different, like I've already talked about, there's different models, but our model is um, shelf rent only. So we don't take a commission. Yeah. And a part of the reason we chose to do that that way was because it was more straightforward and we just were looking for simplicity when it came to the spreadsheets that we were sorting out once a month. Yeah. Um, but if you do have a commission base as well as shelf rent, then, you know, if you're selling your product at a market somewhere else and you're not taking into account that commission and so it's cheaper, there may be customers that decide to buy, you know, go skip the shop and go directly to the maker. Yeah. Um, like I said, that doesn't bother us because we don't care how they find you. If they found you throughout a little caravan, that'll still make you want to stay because you can see the benefit in the 40 collaborators, you know, sharing your posts on Facebook and mm. talking about you at markets and saying, oh, have you heard about our little caravan? Or, well, I'm in there and she's in there as well and, mm. you know, that sort of thing. It's 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 all lifting each other up. But anyway, back, back to legal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've got – we've also got a, um, a on our contract that what kind of space you're agreeing to rent and how much you'll pay per month. Yep. Um just the rules and procedures about what your product is that you'll take into the shop. Um, it's got to be handmade for us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, so we sort of try to get away from the amateur-looking work that you might just be able to do at home. Yeah. So it can get tricky with some things, but it, it keeps the work looking more professional. Mm. We have our own business account for the shop. Um so the shelf members should be able to access their, you know, they can look at our book at any time mm -hmm. during the month and, and so that's all transparent. Yep. Um, then what else do we have to decide? Um, well, what time period you want the um, artists to commit to space rent? Mm -hmm. uh, we sort of started off with being very flexible about that and some people come in and then after one month, you need to give it more like three. You really need to give it three months to see if it's going to work for you. Yeah. Um, and so we have now said we, you know, we insist on three months and there's an admin fee or an early exit fee if you if you want to do less than that. Yeah. Um, and then that's really the legalities are that you have to have shop insurance. We don't, uh, I guess, okay, if you've got toys that are recommended for, you know, the babies, like, mm -hmm. well, you know how you have to have... Um, personal what's it called you've got product a product insurance yeah. you've got public liability insurance for your market store well you don't have to have that in a collective store as a maker because the shop already has it yeah but you might need to have product insurance um for toys you know for children under four or mm -hmm. there's buttons on them and that sort of thing because 
the shop wouldn't have that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's as the maker, you're liable, I guess. That's true. Of yeah. course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned something earlier, and I'll touch on that about you know the the collective, the, the shelf members, sort of talking about each other and sharing each other. Is there any sort of formal uh, request or agreement in place about promoting each other, or do you do that in an informal way? Like, do you have a a, a Facebook group that you all kind of a part of, and that you share each other's posts and stuff? Like, how does that? How do you encourage that sort of thing? Yeah, that's that. Well, that's something that we've let happen organically. But mm-hmm. this year we're going to be more strategic. This is kind of our crunch time six months because we had a two-year lease, and so in June this year we decide whether we re-sign that lease mm-hmm. or whether we don't. Yeah. So if it's not a viable business by June thirty, we don't. And so that's so that's why we've put some things in place now and really got strategic and and serious about um, driving this thing to see whether it will really work in the community. Mm-hmm. People like it online, but we need to get their little legs into the shop. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, it is an organic. We do have a Facebook group, but you know what? Some of our shelf members aren't on Facebook. Mm. So we do what we can um, with who we've got otherwise it's just me singing and dancing about our little caravan a whole lot and whenever anybody that is on facebook or instagram sees it then they they grab it and share it and we have just started um because i had my little caravan instagram page and that had you know healthy little number of followers but just over the holidays i started a our little caravan instagram page and i've given the sort of team that oversees our little caravan because it's not just me anymore mm-hmm. um, I've given them the password and yeah, and username and said, please go for it, make posts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that should take off for sure. And obviously, you know, your you guys can follow and stalk all of your your members and reshare their posts, and they will reshare your posts and all that sort of great stuff. So that you know, again, some of the benefits of being part of some sort of collective in that way is that sort of viral nature of possibility of the spread of your your products, really. Yes. Awesome. So um, oh, just an, an aside, uh, I actually met Christina last year. Well, it's, I think it's the first time we met at the Artful Business Conference. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you coming to Brisbane this year? I don't know. It'll depend on how I'm going with this shop <laughs> because this is my, my absolute goal is to make this shop work. So I just It just occurred to me because the conference is like, it's like May or something. May. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be crunch time. I'll be really interested to know how things are going by then. Um, Interestingly, the very first week I had opened the shop, I went to the Artful Business Conference the year prior. Yeah. So so last year's conference for me was my second one. So my very first week of being open was Artful Business Conference, (laughs) number one. And that was where I met Sonia Sonia Lynn from Danny Lyons. Oh, so lovely. I heard yes. her story and I was like, oh, I'm okay. How exciting. I'll, I'm going to be her in three years. Yes. <laughs> and for those who, are, who may yeah, not – Yeah, for those who may not be long-term listeners, I actually did an interview on the podcast with Sonia way back in 2015, I think. Um, so go listen to that. She's very in- inspirational as well and a very successful maker. So that's exciting. Um and I hope I do see you there. And I hope it's a raging success and things are going really well. But right. time time will show us. Mm. So with that in mind, let's let's do the uh, what are some things not to do when you're setting up <laughs> okay. a store like well, this? Yeah. What I would have done differently if I'd known what I do now. Yes. Um, choose a team. 
of maybe three people with a good sense for business and different skill sets to be the directors. So that's that's because I didn't want to be a solo trader. I'm I second guess my decisions. I you know I'm not a fast decision maker, and so they don't have to have business degree, but they just need to like a spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> or be detail orientated. If you're not, yeah. Um, and three because an odd number means there'll always be a tiebreaker rather than two possibly butting heads. Oh, that's a good call. Yep. Um, and then I would divide the tasks of the um, shop according to the member strengths. So everybody works in their zone of genius instead yeah. of one person trying to do it all. Yeah. So there's some people that are going to be better behind the shop counter um, and there's some people that are going to be have a really good eye for display and and they'll probably find doing those jobs a joy. Don't skimp on location. Mm. Enough said. I talked about it before. <laughs> um Appoint a committee to curate what is being displayed. So this is where I got myself into a bit of a muddle at the start. I was kindly given some startup advice from an established co-op gallery. um, And while this was invaluable, I've realised since it's not a one-size-fits-all. So what worked for them didn't work for me. Okay. So this was the starting with the lower shelf rent and charging a commission on top. What I found from that for me was that um, a slightly higher shelf rent meant that I knew what was coming in and could pay the bills every month and it was a bit more risk to the maker. Mm -hmm. So that meant that they worked a bit harder to have nice things on the shelf. Uh, Yeah. And it also, so it acted as self curation for Mm -hmm. some artists who were just thinking, oh, I'd like to have my, I'd like to have a shelf, shelf on a shop. Um, and then gave me some things that were just they, I knew they wouldn't sell. Yeah, I you know, but I didn't have the heart to say when they walked in, oh, <laughs> that's not going to sell. And then I'm taking their money. Yeah, um, feeling a bit bad about that, but then thinking, well, and and then they're going, oh, well, this shop, no, you know, they blame the shop. Yeah, never for their product. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, there just wasn't enough financial risk to them yep. in order for it to drive. Air sales. So if they're paying $25 a month, in fact, I think at the start I was charging $22 a month and 10% commission. So if they were paying $22 a month to have a go, they could get away with putting the things that hadn't sold at their market stall and see if it'll sell at mine. Well, if it hadn't sold at yours, market stall, with you standing behind it smiling, it mm. might probably not going to sell in yeah. my shop. Yeah. Um, and, and then... But there was no risk to them because if it didn't sell, they didn't pay the commission and it didn't really matter. Yeah. So when I put the prices up, like double that, those people left mm-hmm. and the people who were serious about their, their product came in. Right. And, and my work was actually reduced if you can even – well, of course, you understand because when I, I, I lost half the stall holders, mm. but the people that were then there were now paying double. So yes. <laughs> In matter anyway. Yeah. And and the product was nicer and people were starting to come in and come back because they were like, oh, this place is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've got some really nice things in there. Yeah. Really clever makers are in our shop. That's an ama- uh, that's a really good point. I just want to clarify that because I talk about – I use that analogy in pricing all the time. Like I say, you know, people are like, oh, I couldn't add 10%. And I'm like, well, what if you doubled your prices and you lost half of your – like you, you halved your sales? You're still making the same amount of money for half the, half the work. <laughs> that's right yeah I know so it's, it's not sound, it's not a loss 
It feels it feels still feels wrong though when people are saying now you're too expensive in your head you yes. hear that yes so yes i get i get both sides yeah but exactly that, that worked for me that yep. absolutely worked um and can i just ask as well on that whole um you know deciding on who you're going to stock in the store do you have do you have like a formal list of things you need to tick off to say yes to someone or is it more of a a gut feeling like looking um, at their stuff and just going, yeah, that's going to work. We know that's going to work here. Yeah, um, it's it's probably a gut feeling um, because we now know 18 months down the track what our customers like. We do have we do have rules about how like we don't want it to be too. We want to be supporting each other, so we don't have five candle shelves. Yeah. We have two candle shelves, but they're quite different candles. Yeah. We have one that is completely covered in really random little jars, and then the other lady, um, you know, has candles with fragrances like things I can't pronounce. Akai, is that how you say it? Like, you know, oh, yeah. and clove and pomodander and all these other fancy words, and, you know, you know a nice jar with a black lid. So, so they serve two very different customers, Yeah, and that's fine. They're not in competition. Um, and, but we do have a lot of jewellery, so when somebody brings in jewellery, I always think, oh, but surprisingly, we often think that's pretty different. We can we can still add that in. Yeah. We, we don't like to say no, but don't want to take people's money and give them a false sense of, um, you know, that this, this place is going to work for them. If we're, I don't think our shop would sell the really grungy items with the flowers coming out of their ears, those sorts of, you know, decals and pictures and things, I don't think that would sell well to our customers. Yeah. And it's not just because I don't like gothic, grungy sort of things. I actually don't think that would sell well to our customers. But then I could be surprised if somebody brought those things in and said, I just want to give it a go anyway and I'll really promote it hard to my audience and I'll send them in because the benefit is, of course, they've then got a place to go. Yes. They don't have to post everything out. They don't have to be in a market. Then I would probably give that a – let them have three months and see how they did go. Yeah. Okay, um, cool. Thank you. So, so this is the last thing I would <laughs> then say about what I wouldn't do again. Oh, no, no. Oh, well, just that you need to decide whether um, if somebody is working in the shop, whether they can bring their work in and create or or not. So um, we haven't really had a problem. We find our makers can actually put their art down and, talk to customers but you know how when you get lost in a creative process <laughs> yep. you know you don't want to be feeling like the customer is actually interrupting you when you're making in the shop because the customer's meant to be there so so if that's that that's probably something you need to discuss in your, in your co-op shop but that's you know what we've got a workspace and not every co-op shop does often a co-op shop is just a shop full of shelves and product to buy yeah so that, that wouldn't be a big deal to a shop that was like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then I guess just what percentage of sales take or whether you're going to do shelf only, um, that would be something else to think about before you got started um, and what tasks you want people to do when they're in the shop or whether you're going to man it every day and how you're going to price that into your shelves so that you get paid. Yeah. Yeah. All those so, things to consider. Yep. <laughs> That's great. So, um, you know, you're kind of, I love that you're kind of in this, 
you know, growth phase and uh, trial phase, which is part of why I asked you on um, on the sh- on the show, because I think it's really helpful for people to hear all of these processes and all of these experiments and, you know, what's working and what's not working. And the fact that, you know, business is a, is a constant experiment. And, you know, you've always said, you know, we tried this and it didn't work. So we tried that and it worked better. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different models out there and it really comes down to you deciding what sort of model is good for you as a yes. as a shop owner but also as a participant in one of these sorts of shops if that style is going to work for you if you can have the level of um if you can have the level of uh, participation that you want like you know is does this shop allow you to control your space can you set it up the way you want or do they want to set it up the way they want all of those sorts yes. of things are questions to ask the shop owner before you can that's make. right and to have an idea about what it is you want is really wise. So I sort of nailed it down to three different shop options as far as my experience has seen is that there's the, the sole endeavour, mm-hmm. which is the person who opens the shop and then has people contribute to it and sells things sort of on consignment or, um, and that wasn't a model I wanted to do because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a real team player. That's something I really value. Um or, so then that would lead to mine, which was this sole ownership with um, a team. Um, so I am the sole trader of the shop. Yep. Like I, I have to pay the bills. Yeah. But I have this team around me um, and they are a part of it now. And so although the responsibility does end with me, we share that and we share the decisions and they help me decide what goes on the shelves, which takes the personal out of it for me which is mm. something I needed or then the third option is that um, actually no I think we would be more of a a collaborative shop mm-hmm. so sorry that 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 which is because we've actually joined other businesses into our shop yeah order to share the rent so we've got Inchmill Cafe which is its own business in its own right mm-hmm. and then my little caravan is hanging around at the back <laughs> so that's how we're paying the rent yeah on the shop um and then but sorry so i am getting muddled because then that um collaborative store in the middle that cooperative store in the middle is one of those three businesses yeah so it doesn't have to pay the, sh- the entire shop rent it has to pay for itself mm-hmm. within the shop yeah inch meal cafe also contributes and my little caravan also contributes yeah Yes, um, and then there's anyway. So then the, the the next one would be that co-op, which is where everybody shares, and so and that's often either not for profit. Um, mm-hmm. So then you have a board of people. Um, so I mean, I actually did a Facebook sort of questionnaire the other day saying, "Who knows of cooperative stores in in Australia? Let's list them all." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I will go back and find that, and you can add, add them to the show notes because I love a bit of a treasure hunt like that if I go into another state so yeah I definitely. went to called Camellia Country Cottage in Handorf in Adelaide just last week mm-hmm. and you know that's a cooperative store so that's where the shelf members actually have to do a shift in the shop yeah uh, and then we in Melbourne have a place which is closing down after 21 years so mm. it went 21 years uh, it's called Marunda Handicrafts and I haven't actually found out the whole reason that they're closing down i think it's because it was a not-for-profit organization 
that must mean they can't find the volunteers to keep it going anymore. Right. That's my conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's been going for 21 years, I guess it's an older dem- pe- people that have been running it, mm-hmm. started it. Um, but, yeah, it's not going to continue. And so I think that having one that is actually for profit and there's a main player who's driving it then mm. actually can help with its viability because that person's being paid to be there and will, you know, make it work yes. rather than relying on volunteers and having to find volunteers when volunteers drop off. Yeah, definitely. So that's, you know, every every model has its um, kind of pros and cons, I guess. Yeah. And I do I do love the point you made there about um, being a collaborative enterprise in that there's multiple businesses running in the same location because I think in this day and age I think that's a really viable idea for people. That's the way to go. Yeah, like join up with one or two yes. other people with their own businesses that you can all collaborate all in this space. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> all <shared electricity>. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because that's the you know and that's you know I think most no, maybe not most. A lot of, of makers have that dream in the back of their mind, like the idea of having your own shop to sell your stuff. Like it, it's awesome that it's, you know, the idea you can set it up, make it all pretty, merchandise everything, be able to, you know, um, meet your customers. And it's a lovely idea. But for most of us, because we are sort of just getting by, uh, especially with handcraft, because you, there's only so much of you to go around if you're making the stuff yourself it's really not viable to have a brick and mortar business in that way because it is so expensive to have a shop, an actual shop front. So by yeah. collaborating with other people, and it could even be other makers, you know, five people get together, you'll make stuff and then bring some yeah, other people on board. One day a week each in the shop and that's a really good way of dividing it. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's lots of potential here in this kind of new collaborative way of, of doing business, which could be a really it's good like way. Uber. of. It's just, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's the way of the future yeah it it is and those sort of things are successful for a reason and uh you know kind of thinking about thinking outside the box of the traditional retail store and thinking of ways that it can work into the future you know because a lot of retail stores are closing because they are working on that traditional model and it's just too expensive for one person to cope with um i think it's a really viable and, and great idea and I hope that this episode might inspire a couple of people to give it a go. Yep, me too. And <laughs> I am available to answer any questions that you can think of that I haven't thought of myself. Awesome. So where can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, we've got a web page. So that's ourlittlecaravan.com.au. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Instagram at Our Little Caravan and Facebook page Our Little Caravan and Inch Mule Cafe. So that would be the three great places to start. Cool. And you can email me through there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and being open and honest and sharing your business experience. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that and uh, helping the community as you do with all of your work. Oh, thank you. Um, you didn't ask me where I see myself in five years. I appreciate oh. that. <laughs> That's too overwhelming. Do you have a quote to share? I do have a quote. Oh, cool. Thank you for asking me about my quote. Um, my quote is, she stood in the storm and when the wind did not blow her way, she adjusted her sails. Hooray. Elizabeth Edwards said that. I think she was talking about it and some pretty bad things that were happening to her at the time, but I will take it in the context of pivoting. Yep. 
And that's a beautiful mentality to have. <laughs> Thank you yep. so much for sharing that and sharing your story with us today, Christina. And uh, I'll see you in the circle. You will. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, I hope you found some gems of interest uh, from that episode. Remember to go check out Christina's website, find out more about the collective store. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask her or come over to the blog, uh, createandthrive.com. Look for episode 90 of the podcast, uh, the show notes for that. And uh, you can leave a comment below that and we'll get back to you and answer your questions. So I'm off to pack my bags because we're about to head off to Osaka and I haven't done that yet. So I need to go do that and I will chat to you again next week. This has been the Create and Thrive Podcast. I'm Jess Van Dan and goodbye for now.